0: buy some real estate in good areas that I can make money on, but then also have the opportunity to appreciate and grow over time. So I have that equity leverage.
1: Welcome to the Never Employed chat. My name is Sam and I interview people who make a living beyond salary jobs, entrepreneurs, business owners, and investors, so that we can learn from their stories together. There are many great ways to make a living and even more ways to wealth. At Never Employed, we encourage you to think of alternatives to employment jobs. What would you do if a salary job was simply no option?
0: My job salary is a software sales Mm -hmm. and about during the pandemic, uh, when everything got shut down, basically cut off all the commission I was expecting to make. And it was like, oh man, I really have that one source of income that I'm like reliant on. If I lose my job or even like in the hard times of the job, it really kind of limits how much money you can make and puts you at risk. So I got into real estate investing then. Um, my first real estate investment was a house hack. So I bought a, f- a condo in Austin, Texas. And then on the weekends, I would rent it out on Airbnb. And I would, whenever I was traveling, I rented it out. And I do a lot of traveling like back to Massachusetts or around So I was in Florida a few times. So it was like just renting out the full time I was gone then eventually I moved out of there and rented it out pretty much full time. Uh, and then I bought another short term rental in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So the whole plan there was I am I have one source of income. I'm completely reliant on it. I need to diversify. So now I have two different homes that produce income for me. And obviously the actual Well, not obviously to some people, but the cash flow is great and you want, if you're buying real estate investments, you have to have a cash flow basically. And that's like your moat. Because if your home value dives 50%, it almost doesn't matter if you're not selling because you're making money from it. Um, Your equity goes down. But uh, so you just need that cash flow to stay afloat. And then with appreciation is really where a lot of people make their money. Um, so people who were investing like before I was like maybe 2019 or even before that 2015 when they buy homes like their home values have pretty much doubled almost across the board it's crazy what's happening so the their their equity in that grows tremendously like your home value the might increase by let's say a hundred thousand and that would take years to get hundred thousand in cash flow so um, just trying to like buy some real estate in good areas that I can make money on, but then also have the opportunity to appreciate and grow over time. So I have that equity leverage.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, sounded like you're actually not mainly focused on the uh, equity increase, but mainly on the cash flow,
0: right? Yeah. So the cash flow is basically like. I want other I want revenue coming in and I need it to produce revenue so I'm not like I'm not paying and it. it's not going to hurt my debt. Uh, the, it's how you can't really bank on appreciation. Like I guess if you were like a few years ago, you were buying in Austin, Texas, you could see it blowing up and like I know in 10 years Austin's going to be more blunt, but it is. So like I'm expecting it to grow, but it's not like I am like it's hard to calculate. So the best way to protect myself there is cash flow. There are uh, like other markets that are more cash flow centric because they don't really appreciate much, like some rural parts of the United States or small towns where people aren't really moving to, um, but there still might be good cash flow opportunities there. So I haven't really gone into those areas yet. I know a lot of people who do, uh, but I'm kind of like, as long as I'm cash flowing a decent amount and then in an area that can appreciate, I like the odds of that
1: okay so um you said that you started in 2020 right
0: uh, that's why I, I decided i was gonna invest my first i first bought my condo in june 2021 okay
1: so that was actually already uh, after covid kind of so you you didn't start and then nobody rented uh, for a year or so
0: yeah i was i guess i was kind of lucky but at also a lot of black, the rents actually like skyrocketed like Airbnb skyrocketed because okay. people were all like after the lockdown like after you're stuck then people started to travel and they wanted to travel but they didn't want to be like in a hotel with tons of people so Airbnb did really well uh I would kind of caught part of that I didn't catch like the very beginning but that's kind of when I bought, was buying my place but Uh, Yeah, like because people were traveling, they wanted to stay like a month in a house, you know, in the woods or by the beach and kind of have the whole place to themselves and not have to worry about interacting with so many people and getting sick. But they also like didn't want to be locked down in their same town. And uh, with working from home, everyone was able to like you could leave. And like I moved, I straight up moved during the pandemic from Massachusetts to Austin because I can work remotely. So, like, all that stuff was happening, Uh, so I kind of, like, kind of rode that wave, but now it's coming down back to reality where the occupancy isn't the same as it was 20 in that time frame. And how did you
1: actually get started? So, I mean, buying some real estate is obviously not the first step, right? How did you acquire the knowledge and uh, eventually build
0: the relations which you needed to get started? Yeah. Relationships are huge. Uh, so the way I started was one of my friends said he was trying to get into real estate. And I was like, dude, where do you even learn about that? I know, I've never like heard of real estate investing. I just assumed like if you invest in real estate, you're an agent or like a billionaire. And then I found out about it. He recommended this company called Bigger Pockets. They do a ton of podcasts and uh, they have a website. They have dozens of books and everything like that. And it's a huge network of people that connect with each other. So they have forums where you can ask questions. Uh, So I was listening to all these podcast episodes, like trying to learn and understand like what even real estate was. And then like kind of try to fit after I kind of got a sense of it, having to figure out what um, like the market, what market you want to be in, what type of asset, like there's all different types of real estate. There's you know multi-family, there's small multi-family, there's just single-family, um, there's short-term rentals, there's mid-term rentals, long-term rentals, commercials, a whole different animal. So there's so much, and it was like a lot of that was just like learning, as, listening to as many things as possible, and then eventually I stumbled upon house hacking was the best way to get started, which is you buy a property and then you live in it and you also rent out the other units so that way you either elim- you either make money by living in a place you live for free or you pay like a ridiculously small amount and you're really subsidizing your housing um, so an example would be if you buy a duplex and you live on one side and you rent out the other side then maybe like half of your mortgage is covered maybe 75% 100% kind of depending on the market so i did i got into that And then I was on the forums and this guy was answering a lot of questions and he had this podcast, he was an agent and he had a podcast called Austin Real Estate Investing. And so I was just connecting with him and I actually wanted to move to Austin. Like that was part of the plan was going to an area that I want to live in. I wanted to be in the warm weather. I lived in the Northeast my whole life. So I wanted to move and I wanted to be in a good area. I can house hack and that's like going to appreciate or it's a good good market so he was doing house hacking in austin i connected with him he ended up becoming my agent i went down austin toured around i had to go move there i had to move there before i bought because you have to kind of be, you don't have to be there but it really helps when you're in the city and you can just drive anywhere where you, the listings come up um so i stayed in this one place or so uh he recommended me to this guy, Diego Corzo, who's this really successful businessman, and real estate investor. He has dozens and dozens of properties. He's getting into multifamily, raising funds and all that. So uh, speaking of network, just like I just happened to have connected with Jordan, who's really successful, and he connected me with Diego. And I lived in Diego's house. I was just renting a room. And that got me to meet him and like learn about all the uh, like meet all these other people in real estate investing. Um, so that's kind of like, I was kind of just, uh, I just kind of got thrown into being surrounded by it. And then eventually like we found a listing that came up, uh, that listing that was actually about a, a street down from where I had stayed when I had visited Austin the first time. And I had spent about $850 for less for I think five days for and it was a two bedroom house but only had one bed the other one was the other room was an office so i had, i was like i know for a fact i spent $850 that would cover more than my mortgage if you were to map that out for the entire month and they were only doing one bedroom versus two so when i found what well, we found this condo that came on sale right down the street or right the street over i knew that was going to make money with Airbnb. And the host or the owner who was selling it was doing short-term rentals there. So he was renting it out. He was making about 30,000 a year from it. And I didn't necessarily believe those numbers, but I did have the experience. Like I stayed in a place right here and it's one less bedroom. And I was paying enough to cover the mortgage um, if you mapped it out over the full month. But even if it was just, I rented it for five days and 850, that was like, that's like, more than half of my mortgage for my condo now so i was like okay so worst case scenario i rented out a couple weekends and i'm already making the payments on my mortgage back so that's kind of how i got started It was a long-winded answer but um just a quick overview or a long overview there Hmm. yeah but uh, in the end probably
1: makes sense to uh yeah go a little bit in detail there because uh, obviously, it's not just uh, like finding a property, buying it, and renting it out, right? So there's, uh, yeah, probably many more steps before that. Um, but talking about mortgages um, or interest rates, I think that's a interesting topic right now. Uh, with uh, rising interest rates, is that something which affects you?
0: Yeah, I actually had a tweet about this. I can see if I can pull it up here. Um, it's pretty crazy how much a small, I'm gonna try to find it, uh, a small impact on or increase in your mortgage rate, your interest rate mm-hmm. impacts your mortgage. It's just like now it's costing so much more to get a, to get a property um, just for people who are listening, if you buy a ha- bought a house in 2021 for $500,000 at a 3% interest rate, the mortgage payment on that is $2,100 basically. Uh, if you buy a $500,000 house at today's about, let's say it's 6% interest rate, your payments almost 3000. So it's like almost a $900 difference per month, just from increasing the interest rate. So that means there's a lot less homes that are being sold right now. Um, Cause it's not like a buying frenzy. It's not like a complete seller's market now. Now it's turning into a buyer's market because when the interest rate rises, that means it costs more to, to borrow so that means less people are going to be able to afford a certain level. So they're going to be able to afford less than they were before. And it kind of just kills a lot of the demand. I mean, we're still seeing demand, but it's not nearly as crazy as it used to be.
1: Okay. So what what does it say? You said it's uh, turning into a buyer's market now?
0: Or yeah, into- like there's a lot more opportunities to like, So when I was first looking at homes, it would, it was like, you have to waive your inspection or like waive the appraisal contingency. You had to, or like, and you had to be putting offers like right away and you had to go be bidding up higher than Mm -hmm. the actual listing. But now homes are sitting on the market longer and there's a lot of price cuts. So every time I get like, I get my agents send me listings it usually says like 10% price cut. And there was one I was looking at today that was a few months ago listed at four, 480,000. And the same home today is listed at 325,000.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's a huge difference in what was like a year ago. So is this then
1: especially an advantage for investors because like usual people who just like consume houses don't buy so much anymore? but investors still take the opportunity if they can afford it.
0: Yeah. And there's also like, you have leverage now as a buyer. So as earlier I was saying, you had to waive all these contingencies, you had to get, you know, bid over asking. Now there's a lot of people who the they're offering lower than even the listing is, and you could still get that. Or you can do like seller financing where the the homeowner kind of, basically becomes the bank and you don't even have to go to a bank they'll just give you you just have to work on the terms with the seller so my my friend diego the investor he just bought a duplex in austin and he seller financed it so essentially the seller was given like the loan for them to buy it Mm -hmm. and they just put a little money down Um, so there's a lot more like creative ways to get in now versus just paying way too much and overpaying to get the property
1: So would
0: you then say that it becomes
1: easier for people who are just starting with uh, real estate investment if they are
0: a little bit smart? Um, Yeah, it should be a little easier. I think it's going to cost more. I mean, the amount you can get is less. So like when I, the amount I would be pre-approved for from a lender a year ago, based on my income, I would be able to get a higher or a, I guess, more expensive property. Now, my pre-approval is actually lower because of the high interest rates. So you, you won't be able to you know afford as much, but there are still a lot of opportunities to find something and really do a lot of analysis to make sure you're buying the right place and uh, due diligence and you have more leverage in the negotiation. So um, turning more into a buyer's market as opposed to a seller's market.
1: Uh, like i mentioned before and the the what you said before with uh seller financing did you call it that that way um yeah isn't that an opportunity for for people who maybe don't have the uh yeah financial basis to to afford uh things on their own
0: yeah i guess i mean so you basically don't have to put as much down generally and you don't have to go to the bank and get pre-approvals and like have them look at your debt to income and there's like a lot of uh, you can just you lower the closing costs because closing costs are expensive um, they can be like tens of thousands of dollars um so and you can kind of play around with the terms so you don't have to do 30 years 30 years i know someone who just did 40 years um So there's definitely like ways to play it. The problem is though, you just don't want to be buying something that you can't afford. Like if you can only afford it because you're getting, because of seller financing, it might be a little risky if you're new. Like I wouldn't do that if I was new, probably. Um, Like if you have, so here's an example of like my first condo I bought was way below what I was approved for. So i had a lot of money like in case like anything went wrong i was fine and if nobody ever rented it i was being i would be able to pay the mortgage but if you're trying to get something that's like almost out of your price range out of your budget um i just like wouldn't recommend that i would recommend starting like lower um now Another, that's like, if you were to counter that argument that I just made, another concern there is like, if you're buying a lower price point, it's usually a riskier investment. So that it's not cheaper. It's like when you buy like cheap clothing, it wears down faster and then you have to buy a new shirt or cheap furniture, it breaks easier. So then you have to go out and buy more and then therefore really spending more. So like, you don't want to be buying cheap because it's not expensive because that's it's not expensive for a reason and it's going to cost you. So there's just like a fine balance between like, what's the max I can afford, and then what's like a comfortable range, a little below that, that like I have wiggle room in case things go wrong, but you're not going to like bottom of the barrel, C class, D class neighborhoods that are just gonna cost you more in the long run.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, um, and
1: something I heard from other investors is that it's uh yeah comparatively easier to actually buy bigger houses and multifamily houses compared to um <laughs> buying uh yeah like single apartments in the beginning or yeah just making this
0: all uh, possible with uh banks and loans and so mm. yeah I don't know I've never actually bought in a multifamily so I I don't have that experience but um I mean, you're kind of doing the same amount of work when you're closing on something like whether you're buying a a single family home to short term rental, or you're buying like a larger multifamily. I mean, if you're buying a 100 unit apartment complex, it's obviously a different animal. But if you're buying like a, I guess a quadplex, so like a four unit or a duplex, it's per, like there's not much difference between that. Evaluating that in a single or a single family or the closing process is all pretty similar.
1: Mm-hmm. And on on the other hand, if you're just starting with uh, single apartments and uh, small properties, um, you you probably um, in in the long run you you have the opportunity to invest in in bigger units over time, right? If if you want or yeah. just can can afford more
0: and more. Yeah. And so a good thing is like with my condo is, so I bought it and it's appreciated. I don't know what, I don't know what it would appraise for now, but let's say I bought it at 260 and appraises for 300 now. So that means like they estimate the value of that. That's like 40,000 in equity you just got because of the market. Mm-hmm. So you can take a, you can leverage, you can refinance or get a home equity line of credit on that. And you basically pull the cash out. Um, to some extent, and then you can use that cash to buy another place. So like a lot of people will just, they just take what they have, like a lot of really successful real estate uh, investors do is they take the equity in their homes that they have. And then they just leverage that to get more. So then they're just buying another property. And it's not like there's 40,000 coming out of your pocket, you're just using that from your initial investment. So that's like, pretty wild like it's crazy how many people do that and like how they rapidly they can scale by doing that but doesn't this then uh only work in a
1: like growing market when when uh the property values increase How how is that when it's like exactly the other way around
0: yeah i mean if you if you buy a place for 260 and then it goes to 200 you're not gonna be able to do that at all so yeah and make sure you pick your markets wisely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I. I mean, I. I sometimes wonder about the the difference between different countries, because I know that in Germany, for example, there's, um, yeah, quite a lot of regulation about uh, real estate and real estate investment, uh, especially compared to the US. Um, yeah, I think us is kind of a real estate investors paradise as, as far as i see and from from what i hear from people
0: yeah i don't really know anything about real estate in other countries but i think the us is kind of where you want to be buying
1: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> okay this <laughs> makes sense do you have something which which you would uh, recommend uh people want to start uh getting into real estate what's what's something you you'd like to recommend so
0: uh, there's a couple of things you can do. Mm. One would be like, I would go on to Bigger Pockets. Mm. I would listen to those podcasts. There's a bunch of different shows. Uh, there's like the general real estate Bigger Pocket show, there's the real estate rookie show, which is specifically for newer investors. So I would just learn as much as you can from that, from those podcasts and from the website and from the books that they offer. I would go on to Twitter and I would find real estate investors on Twitter and I would connect with them as much as possible. Um, I have, if you go to my Twitter, I have a bunch of lists that are public that just sort like a bunch of people in real estate. Uh, So I have one list. that's just like a general list of a lot of real estate people. I have one that's for short term rentals. Um, So things like that, you can just go onto that list and just find a bunch of people and follow them or follow that list. And then you're just kind of keeping up with them. And you can ask people questions and talk to people and build your network. That way that you're a newer investor and trying to get started. I think the best way, the best prop, the easiest way is probably the house hack, uh, if you're going to start out buying, which is like you buy in one place, you're actually going to live there. So you're basically just, like I said earlier, lowering your cost to live. And in that experience, you're getting the, you're, you're learning how to buy a property. You're learning how to, you know, do any renovations or repairs or whatever you need to do, and then you're also learning how to be a landlord because you are renting out another room in that house or another the other unit in the duplex, for example. Um, and then w- along those lines, like another reason why house hacking is great is the low money down, because when you have an owner occupied home, you can spend you can put down like three and a half percent or five percent versus an investment home, which is 20%. And that's a huge difference in the amount of capital that you have to come up with. Uh, Because if you put in 500,000, or a 500,000 home at 20% is 100,000 you have to save up. But for my condo, I had a 5% loan, 5% down, and the condo is only like $260,000. So I'll like I was like fourteen thousand dollars to close or something really low. Um, like I got, I basically was able to afford that from one sales commission check, which is pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, that, that's interesting. So, but what's what's the the reason for that? Is it because your tenant then pays the the remaining part, or banks just don't care in a different way? So
0: the banks want they're like encouraging home ownership. Um, the way I guess they lend on, they want people to buy homes and they obviously make they make money on the interest. So they want that. Um, I don't I guess like I don't really know the laws of why investments are 20 percent versus homeowner. But maybe because like, I, I don't really know the specific reason why. But I do know they're trying to encourage home ownership. OK, so so that's just a legal thing. Yeah, it's like a bank lending mm-hmm. thing. Like you're not, I don't really, I, that's a good question. I don't know exactly why it has, it's 20%. Like there are deals where you can, people put down 25% and uh, people put down 15. There's different types of loan products you can get. Um, like there's, you can get a, what's called a DSCR loan, debt service coverage ratio loan, which Like if you're Airbnb investing, let's say you want to buy a beach house and you can show the lender what the revenue expected revenue is. They'll just like pull up their own data from AirDNA or something and they'll look at what the expected return is or revenue is on that house. And then they'll give you a loan based on that. So that's not really like a personal loan. It's more of a business loan. Um, so there's different loan products out there, but just generally speaking, you're around 20% for an investment and uh, about five to three, depending on the loan product for a home.
1: What what would you say? How passive are um, real estate investments or uh, especially short-term
0: rentals actually? So short-term rentals are a ton of work up front to set it up. Um, like you're for... One of my places we had, I just had to furnish everything. That's like about a month or so. And then like set everything up that an Airbnb guest would need and buy all the stuff, like buy all the TVs, all the smart TVs, um, and get the internet set up. Like you're doing all that stuff. So that takes some time. I bought a turnkey one in Myrtle beach is essentially turnkey, which basically means that the, they had like, I could have rented it that day. Cause they had all the furniture and the furniture was really good quality they kind of to in order to entice the buyer they renovated a little bit and then increased the home value so i basically just got lucky and i was able to use all that stuff so we turned that around in like a week or two Um, but it's a lot of work up front because you're you're furnishing the place you're setting up the amenities because you want to stand out as an airbnb host so you're trying to get like the best amenities like if you're in a, if you, I had enough space, I would buy a hot tub and get that set up, but I don't have enough space in my house. So um you were, you're doing things like that. And then you have to set up the systems like can set up the Airbnb listing connect it with the pricing automation tool, your messaging tools. So it's just like time, it's not anything that's like impossible, but it's still a lot of effort. Uh, then after that, it's very hit and miss with the, what's what's required like the past couple of weeks I haven't done anything for my rentals like it's been really hands-off but before that there was like an issue with like one cleaner um there was an issue with like the gas and it's like then something broke like someone put a hole in the wall and then you have to like coordinate getting that fixed and it's all stuff you can do remote like I do remotely like I'm out of state for my Myrtle Beach property um so it's not like it's anything like it's not rocket science, but it is like there are days where you're like getting so many messages from guests. There's issues and you're the one who has to handle it. And you have to call all the people. So it's kind of annoying sometimes, um, but it's pretty hit or miss. And, like, yeah, and you're setting up systems to automate as much of it as possible. Like I, never, I rarely message guests myself. It's usually automated unless there's like a one-off question or we're having a conversation. Um, so you, and then the pricing's automated. I play around with that myself too. But uh, you do everything you can to automate as much as you can. Inevitably, there's going to be some shit that hits the fan, and there's no, you can. You just have to deal with it. Um, but then there are times like recently where I'm pretty hands off. So it it comes in bursts. I would say the the amount of effort or work you have to do. And talking about automation,
1: um, what role play platforms like airbnb for example and i, I think especially in short-term rentals they're uh, probably quite crucial
0: oh yeah so there's airbnb and vrbo are the two main booking platforms uh, you can sync the calendars up so they both collaborate with each other essentially you're not going to get booked on vrbo and airbnb for the same booking once you get booked on one of them it blocks out the other on the calendar uh, the software I use, there's one called Hospitable. Uh, there's one called Price Labs. Hospitable is the messaging platform, so I set up rules for all the messages per each house. Uh, so, like my condo might have a different set, like might have different parking instructions. So then, whenever there's a question about parking, it's like automated response one for the condo and then one for the house because they're different answers. Uh, one has pets, one doesn't. Um, so based on that, like if anybody I put in the listing, pets are welcome, but like, if someone were like, Hey, can I bring my pet? Depending on the listing, they're going to get a different response. Uh, so you're just, I'm just constantly, uh, setting up automated messages whenever I get a question, because if somebody asks me that, then likelihood somebody else is going to ask me that. So I just write a response once and then automate it the next time. Uh, you also get like the check-in messages. So throughout the time. That you stay at an airbnb you're going to get the like the initial email where you or message when you book the like the check-in message the day after they check in you're checking in like how did it go is everything okay that's automated uh the checkout message is automated i automat- it automatically write some review it gives me like a couple days so in case like there is an issue i can like stop that from happening if there was but it hasn't happened yet So all that's automated and then the pricing is automated. They take the data from the market, the occupancy, the searches, the demand, the booking, the prices, and and historical data, and they try to max out the revenue you can get while getting you booked. And that's all automated, an automated tool. So I just, all that stuff saves you tons of time and it's to get started with each of them I think combined, it's like $55 or $60. It's so completely worth it. You're, if you buy it and or if you like have an Airbnb and you're not using those tools, even if you just have one, it's just like kind of unacceptable at this point. <laughs> like it just like, <laughs> just do it. Like it's, I mean, I didn't know when I first started, I didn't actually know about those tools. So I was doing it all manually, which like took a lot of time. If you're writing out every single message and you're pricing everything every single week, like that's a huge waste of your time and it's costing you money. Um, so if you ever considered it and haven't bought those things, like that's foolish, <laughs> but I think most, most hosts are pretty much most, any like good hosts is on those platforms. Mm-hmm.
1: And are you actually planning to do more in short-term rentals, or what are the next steps for you?
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the next place now, uh, so it might be another house hack in Austin. So I would rent that out uh, one side of it, or just rent it out on the weekends when I'm not there for the for the like the beginning. Because when you get a homeowner occupied loan, you're supposed to you're doing it with the intent to live there. So I would live there and then after like a year or so, I'd move out and then it would become a full-time rental. Um, or I would, I'm looking for a short-term rental. I'm looking at both markets now and seeing what comes up. So I'm definitely looking at both, but the plan for either would be eventually, whether it's immediately or in the future, it would be, it would be on uh, Airbnb and VRBO for bookings.
1: And is there anything where people might eventually uh, help you like on your further journey in general? Maybe if uh, someone listens who is interesting, someone who has some kind of potential to to help you with any challenges you're facing.
0: Like, so I met this guy who, uh, one of the more popular Airbnb guys on the internet is Rob. It's like his YouTube channel is Rob built. Rob Abasolo, I think is his last name. I'm blanking on it, but I met his chief operating officer at uh, the Bigger Pockets conference this weekend. And he helped, he has this video that he made about uh, Price Labs, the automation tool um, that I just ran through this morning. And uh, it actually helped me with part of my market analysis. So things like that, like just talking to people always helps. Uh, a lot of the people on Twitter I communicate with, I'll learn things from them. Um, I've had an issue with a guest, so I asked somebody I met on Twitter, uh, Tian Marcinic. I asked her like how she would handle it. Uh, she gave me some pointers. I've asked Taylor Jones on Twitter uh, some questions about pricing, and he gave me some responses. Uh, eventually, I'd like. Uh, eventually, we'll have a, a virtual assistant or somebody else managing everything as I continue to grow. So there, you're constantly learning from other people. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, cool. So if there's a virtual assistant out there, uh, they maybe may may reach out to you.
0: Yeah, I uh, I kind of I should get it set up soon, but it's at the point where I might just do it for the next rental. At this point, we'll see, but eventually it'll happen. I'll get one.
1: Cool. So how can people contact you? Mainly on Twitter, or do you have other?
0: Yeah, Twitter's great. My Twitter handle is at Bryce W. Garcia, so B-R-Y-C-E, W as in William, that's my middle name, and Garcia, G-A-R-C-I-A. My Instagram is, I don't really post much about short-term rentals there, so if you care about that, follow me on Twitter, Uh, but you can go to Bryce, B-R-Y-C-E, cold, like, ice cold but it's Bryce cold 12 Um, you could follow me there but if you want any info on short-term rentals go to Twitter I have a newsletter I just started to so I have a few uh, that articles or emails that are going to be coming out soon so uh, right when you go on my Twitter profile you can click on you can click on the subscribe button or whatever and you'll get those two to your inbox
1: okay yeah cool perfect then thank you very much for taking the time
0: Yeah. Thank you for having me. Happy to come on anytime in the future for updates or if other people have questions about that, um, whatever you need. Thank you for taking part in this Never Employed chat. Subscribe
1: to my YouTube channel for more interviews with business owners and investors, or simply listen to the audio version in your favorite podcast directory. Make sure to follow me on all your preferred social media platforms so that you never miss life-changing business tips. You find me on every platform with the account name
0: SamHartman.com. Start a business, become successful, and tell me about it. See you next time.